0: Welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book
1: coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. hey guys welcome back to the hungry authors podcast i have a little bit of a head cold today so if i sound a little off that's why today we have a guest that i'm super psyched about we have steph crowder steph i'm gonna let her introduce herself in a minute but i steph is one of those internet digital people who whose path i, I like our paths have crossed so many times I started listening to her back on The Fizzle Show like years and years and years ago, because Fizzle was sort of my gateway into digital entrepreneurship. And then, of course, Steph ended up breaking out and doing her own thing, multiple cool stuff since then. She, ha- she has her own podcasting courses. And she's just sort of like been a part of my internet life for a long time. And I have learned from her from afar. And so we're super excited to be talking to her today um, about all kinds of stuff, specifically her book journey. Um, But go ahead, Steph, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience?
2: Thank you guys so much for having me today. I'm thrilled to be here. And Liz, honored to have been some small part of your journey. It's always so cool when people uh, you know, we're, we're with me from the beginning. I kind of think of myself these days as a little bit of like a digital dinosaur, because I've been doing this for the better part of 10 years now, which is really hard to believe, but here we are. So, uh, like Liz said, I'm Steph Crowder of stephcrowder.com and the courage and clarity podcast. And I am a business coach. I'm a business coach and a strategist. Um, I help my clients do all different kinds of things with their online businesses. But I would say my wheelhouse and my zone of genius is in sales and marketing. So I help my clients get more customers. I help them feel really clear on what their goals are, what their intentions are, both for their business and for their lives, because there's such a incredibly fascinating intersection between those two things when you are a entrepreneur but i think especially a solopreneur a you know one man one woman shop Um, there's so like, there is such a fine line between your life and your business. And, you know, a lot of us are parents and we're working in the hours of the day that we have while we're juggling kids. And it's a big, beautiful mess that I love helping people navigate. So I do that through my podcast. Um, right now I also do that through my six month mentorship mastermind called the messy middle. I help people who are in those, exactly what it sounds like, those messy middle chapters of business building where you've had some traction, but you're like, uh, where am I going? This is, you know, I'm not really at the quote unquote destination just yet. So that's how I help people. And, um, yeah, it's been really a great journey so far. And I I love what I get to do every day. And I'm super excited to be embarking on this book writing journey as well. Oh, that is so cool.
0: And I love the title for that, the messy middle. Cause that definitely feels uh, relatable for us right now. I can tell you that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. So Steph- I, I feel that too.
0: Yeah. So, um, okay. Tell us a little bit about where you're at in the book journey. Cause I'd love to know, you know, I know, um, Liz and you worked together a little bit, mm-hmm. but tell us kind of, you know, where are you at now in your book journey? And like, what has that process looked like for you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about a messy being in the messy middle. (laughs) That's where I feel like I'm at with my book writing. So, excuse me. I, I think, you know, what's been interesting for me is writing a book is probably my longest dream. I would say, um, you know, I I always have to laugh and uh, maybe people out there who are aspiring authors or, or published authors will relate to this because I think as I've gotten into it, I'm like, I think a lot of people have been down this road where I was in middle school and I remember, you know, I had like a primitive laptop that I bought off of eBay with my own money. It was like a chunk, like a brick. And while other middle schoolers were doing, I don't know, middle, regular middle school things, I would beg my parents to drop me off at Barnes and Noble. I would sit at the cafe. I was in like eighth grade, you guys, maybe seventh grade. I would buy myself like a slice of cheesecake. And I was writing what I believed was the next great American novel. And I was like my favorite thing to do. It was so cringe. I have since looked for it. It was like, like fan fiction based off of a soap opera that I used to watch. I wish I could find this because my husband would love to torture me about it, but I can't find it, unfortunately. But, but that's really where, like when I think about where it started for me, writing has just always been in my life. I love telling stories. This is why, I think I excel at a sale as a sales coach is I in selling, I see the ability to tell stories and to help customers see themselves in that story. So it really shares a border with what we do when we're writing. Um, so for me, you know, I majored in English in college. Like this is just, I love literature. I went to London when I was in college and was just like blown away by the history of, you know, the great authors who come before us. It was like so emotional for me. And uh, I know you guys are kind of woo open, woo curious. I actually had the sense when I was there, I was like, I've been here before in a previous life. I was like Charles Dickens friend or something. I could just, I just felt so connected to it. So for me being in the book writing journey now, um, I, one thing that's been interesting is, I know we're going to talk a little bit about this, but. I've toggled between like, do I want to be a fiction author? Do I want to write about my expertise in business? The truth of the matter is I think I have both in me and figuring out like which comes first and how they fit together has been an open question for me. But where I am in the journey right now is, um, at least if you're, you know, we're recording this on video right now, you can kind of see these calendar pages that I have behind me. I have a really successful mini course called Year on the Wall, where I teach people how to plan out their whole year and visualize it with this color-coded system. And it's been super popular over the years. So I'm in the process of turning that into a book because there's just... So much um, so much behind the strategy of it. There's so much mindset, there's so much um, paradigm shift when you start planning your year in this really unique way. And that's where Liz has helped me. I've you know in the proposal phase of figuring out how the year on the wall course becomes a book that could be widely available for people who really want to, you know, kind of go into the, I would say mindset aspect of what does it look like to visualize a whole year at a time and then make it happen for yourself.
1: Yeah. But before you did that, you actually mm. wrote an entire novel, right? I did. Who does that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, I did.
1: So, mm-hmm. and because we, I mean, I think that a lot of r- writers are people who like primarily identify as a writer, whether like, you know, professionally or just, you know, as a person who writes, a lot of us like have both Both of that, like I exclusively write nonfiction, but you know, when I'm daydreaming in the middle of the day, I do think like, could I write a story about a girl who has a flying car or whatever, you know, like I feel like if you're a creative person, like it's very natural to be inclined to both of those things. And we get, you know, asked occasionally, like, where do I start? We've even done, um, podcast episodes and a, um, A a masterclass last week about finding your big idea. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that we tell people, I mean, if you like have like a really intense bent towards fiction and you just got a burning thing, it's totally great to like follow that creative inclination if you want to. But one of the easy, like one of the best ways to find your big idea is just to sort of like go with what's already happening, especially if you have any kind of a platform already, or you're talking about anything already. And by the way, you know, if you approach an agent or anyone in the publishing industry, they're going to tell you, like, just do go with your expertise, like do the easy thing, even not not that anything in publishing is easy, but like, do the easy thing first. Like, what is everyone already coming to you for? What is everyone already asking you about? Start there. And then, you know, that is, that's just the easiest win. And then often that opens doors to all kinds of other stuff. I mean, there's so many authors, like, you know, even like Elizabeth Gilbert, who like, they they become known for, you know, their nonfiction, and then they start writing fiction. And that can Mm -hmm. be like, super successful too. But, um, anyway, tell me about like that pivot. You wrote the whole novel, Mm -hmm. but then you decided to write a nonfiction book.
2: Why? Yes. Yeah. So I think it definitely dovetails from what you're saying about going with your expertise. So for me, I I went through the experience of writing a novel and, um, the person I was learning with at the time, uh, Mary Adkins, she has a program for aspiring fiction writers. And it was a great program. I, I mean, I think I really owe the completion of my first draft to being in that program. She recommends <laughs> setting aside your draft. When you finish your first draft, I wrote uh, some, I wrote somewhere between 65,000 and 70,000 words is what she recommends. Um, she says, set it aside for six weeks, kind of let it bake like it's a loaf of bread and then come back to it. And when I set it aside, I just frankly never picked it up again. Uh, It was really interesting. I had this almost like a repulsion to picking it up again. Um, I still think, and now it's been, it's been a year, actually. It's been almost exactly a year. And I still think I will pick it up again. It just, what I've, what I've learned so far in my, in the difference between fiction and nonfiction writing is, at least for me, fiction was so different than I thought it was going to be. Whereas nonfiction, I feel is at least for me, the process has been very linear. It's like, I'm going to teach people these four steps of like how to plan their year on the wall. And it's going to make logical sense in my brain. I could, pre- I could write an outline and then kind of get to work. Fiction hell no. Like, it's just not like that. I mean, the the way I got started was, and this was, you know, at Mary's advice was like, just kind of start, just go just like jump in and like, see what's going to happen. And I'm sure it's like, I bet some people outline fiction and that's great. But for me, I was very much, you know, hear about pantsers. Like I was the pansiest of pantsers. I would be writing this story and be like, I don't know where these people are going and what they're doing, but they're doing something. And that was an inc- like, what an incredible experience for me to be like telling this. I think this is something that Mary says too, is that when you're writing fiction, the first draft is telling yourself the story where the next draft is you figure out how to tell it to everybody else. For me, my fiction, uh, is based roughly on my reality. I've been through, just like many of us have, I've been through some traumatic things and I wanted to use these fictional characters to process some of that. And so Wow. Like what an incredible experience that was. So for me, that's part of it. I think writing fiction has been a very healing part of coming back from and unwinding and processing some things that happened in my family as, as I was growing up. And yeah, I had basically, I just had no idea that that's what fiction would feel like for me, but I've since talked to other people and I get the sense that's pretty normal that when you're telling a story, you're inventing a whole new world it can feel very out of control. You know, it's not what the, the sit down and write an outline that I thought it was going to be. Um, you want to learn how to trust a process, go write a fiction novel. You're just like, and so I'm just in the middle of that right now where I kind of have this like 65,000 word mess on my hands. And, you know, I'm in this phase where I can't, I, I went and worked for someone else for the, for a year. I left my business and took a job. Now I'm back to being in my own business. I have two young kids, um, having a fiction novel in your life is like its own child. I felt. And so I kind of just had to set it aside for right now. I see that as something that I can always come back to. Like, it's not going anywhere. It's not time bound. Whereas on the nonfiction side of things, Um, to Liz's point about like, what do people come to you for? I realized I have an opportunity. So with my year on the wall class, I teach it at the, in, in Q4 of every year and hundreds of people will pay to come take this class. And it's something that, you know, if you go on my Instagram, Hey, Steph Crowder on Instagram, you'll see like Ariel actually said this in the beginning before we were recording. It's like, you can see on my feed what this calendar looks like. It's becoming something I'm known for. And so I felt a bit more, not pressure, but I think an impetus to like, okay, if we're gonna bring you on the wall into the world as a book, we should do it sooner than later because I'm on to something here and writing a proposal and writing a book from that place of like I have evidence that this can go somewhere has been a really cool experience that just makes me feel like all right, it's time to bring this thing out into the world and I have a little bit of a fire under me to get that out there and help people. Whereas the fiction journey is more of like a meandering lazy river. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how it's, that's how I'm looking at it. Oh yeah,
0: for sure. And I relate with so many uh, points of your story. I like you as a kid, like I was always writing fiction. I had like a whole series of books about (laughs) all of the kids who lived on my street. (laughs) It was Amazing. amazing. Let me tell you, it was absolutely fantastic. And I also have experienced that same feeling with fiction of like so I did NanoRimo three times. Have you heard mm. of NaNoWriMo? Okay, I have. Yeah. So for those who haven't heard of it, it's National Novel Writing Month. Or if you want to write nonfiction, it might be National Nonfiction Writing Month. It happens every year in November. The goal of it is to write fifty thousand words in thirty days, which ends up it's being bananas. Like, yeah, it's crazy, and it ends up being like sixteen hundred ish words per day. Um, So I've done it three times and mostly writing fiction during those times. And, but at the same, you know, at the end of it, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of like, I did that. I did it. I'm done with it. I don't know if it's just like the, the outpouring of like putting so much intense work into something for a short amount of time. And then you're like, okay, well, I've got nothing left to say about this. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I think that's true. That fiction, it does feel more like a, a lazy meandering river, which can be really nice to just like dip into, And, you know, come out of whenever you kind of feel like it, whereas nonfiction, there is a little bit more of like incentive to get that done. There is a little bit more of like a, um, like, you know, time drivers attached
2: to nonfiction oftentimes. So that makes a lot of sense. I think on the fiction side of things too, something you said just kind of made me think about this aspect of my journey. I think there's really something to be said if you're an aspiring author, It just like the three of us here, it's probably something that you've had in your heart for as long as you can remember. And if you're anything like me, you've probably been discouraged by someone you really care about on your path, right? Like this is one of those, I think of like acting, I've heard similar things from people who were like aspiring actors as children. You know, you have, maybe you have a well-meaning parent or a family member, a teacher, somebody along the way says something that, they don't understand in the moment, maybe the the impact of a comment where they say something like, oh, everybody wants to be a writer or like writers don't make any money. Like you need to pick a real job. And that was something that I heard when I was young. And again, it was never any malintent, and in, in, in fact, quite the opposite. Like people in my life just wanted me to be successful. I didn't want me to be a starving artist. Mm-hmm. And so, somewhere along the way, I really, even though I have, um, I really believe in myself, and I and I have watched myself like set. I mean, uh, reach every goal of pretty much that I've ever set for myself. There is something about the authorship that is hard for me to believe. Right. Because from a young age, I in inter- turn, I heard that and I internalized that. And I think as a child, one thing that happened subconsciously, as I was hearing from people, I cared about, like basically the message I heard, whether it was meant or not, was like, you're not good enough to do that. And they're saying, well, writers don't make any money. But then even as a little kid, I'm in a bookstore and there's like thousands of books. And I'm like, well, they did it. So what is it about me that the people that care about me don't believe in. Right. And I'm not blaming anybody for that. Again, I think they had my best intention at heart, but I really internalize that. And I've had to work through that and realize that for me, I think to your point, Ariel, part of the path of becoming an author is just sitting down and acting like an author, sitting down and writing the full draft, whether or not that thing ever sees the light of day, that has really strengthened my self-belief and self-concept is like, wait, because I've, I've gone my whole life. I'm 35 years old. I've gone my whole life being like, I want to be a writer. I'd like to be an author. And what happened when I wrote that fiction draft was like, no, I'm a Freaking writer now. Like I'm, I, I, I am a writer. So for people out there who, if you can relate to my journey, I think that has been huge for me is to make that jump from, I'd like to be an author someday. I always said, I want to be an author to have to ask myself, well, what would a writer do? What would a real author do right now? She would go to the coffee shop and sit down and she would write this draft. And I think in a lot of ways, being an author, embodying authorship has made me ready to write this nonfiction book now, because this is not my first time that I've tried to write a nonfiction book. I've tried and I would always stop. I would always have resistance. And I think I had to kind of sort out this head trash that I had around, like, I'm not good enough to do that. So just, you know, it's like going to the gym, like putting in the reps, like you can say, like, I'd like to be a runner, or you can just like walk out your door and like, just run to the stop sign and back and become a runner in that moment. That's been huge for me.
1: Totally. Yeah. I relate to that a lot. One time early on when I, um, like right around the time I met my husband, I was hanging out with some of his friends at a trivia night and I was like in my early twenties. And, um, I was saying something about how, yeah, like I, I wasn't like a professional writer yet. Like I hadn't made any money writing, but I wanted to be a writer. And I was saying that a lot of times I think in complete sentences, like I'm not like I'm forming sentences like I would be writing in my Mm. brain, you know, anyway, whatever. And I was telling my husband's friend this. I was like, yeah, it's just like, sometimes I just kind of like write sentences in my brain. And he looked at me and he said, that's just thinking. And I was like, I mean... (laughs) I think I still think about that like almost once a week. Years later, like ah, oh you know wow. what I mean, like those kinds of things. And he is incredibly kind. Adore him. He was in our wedding, like great guy. But he, the way he just nonchalantly was like, no, like I, I don't know. There's this thing that I yeah. think really special about me, you know, because I'm so obsessed with writing and I rework these sentences in my brain. He was like, you're just thinking, and I was like, oh, I guess it's not that special, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I really identify that with you. Um okay. I have a question since um okay, so your your big book idea is around the year on the wall. Yes. <laughs> but um you know, you do a lot of things. You of course like specialize in sales and you do copywriting. Um tell me How you came to like how the year on the wall became like the thing, you know, Yeah. Uh, how did that become your proof of concept, especially in light of like one one thing that I really love about you when you talk about on your podcast and in just in all of your content, you have this great marriage of um, like practicality, you know, Mm -hmm. like let's do what works and is working but like you said, like the woo, like Ariel and I are woo curious, you know, (laughs) but, but you don't seem to go like, just, you know, like trust your gut completely and don't look for any kind of external validation, you know? So anyway, tell me how that came to be like the idea you decided to run with of all the things.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Such a good question. I think, I think proof of concept is really important for this. Um, And, you know, this is my, I'm a first timer. So like, it's kind of, this has actually been really fun for me to get to be like a true beginner. You know, if you get really good at something, like I said, I've been business coaching since 2014 or 15. Um, so I'm not, I'm far from a beginner in what I do in that way, but like now I'm a total new beginner again. So I'm like, I don't know what I don't know. And there's something about that that is lovely. You don't always realize that in the moment. You're just like, I just feel really confused, but I promise you'll look back on that and be like, wow, I kind of missed it when I was like, everything was so simple when I was a beginner. So I've really enjoyed um, that energy. And so I think for me as like, I have, the truth is it's such a good question because the truth is I have multiple nonfiction ideas based on other, to your point, Liz, other things that I've done that have been successful. Um, my whole podcast is, you know, called courage and clarity, which is exactly what you said. It's intended to be the balance of, I call it the head and heart of entrepreneurship. Like We need to be brave. We need to take inspired action, but we also need to back it up with strategy. That's really what I'm all about. So at one point I was like, well, I'm just going to write like the courage and clarity book, or I have, you know, a lot of experience in sales. It's my background is in sales training. I would <laughs> people ask me all the time what's your favorite sales book and I'm like none of them they're all horrible they're all they're all written by like crusty white men no offense to any of, of them but like they're just not great they're just not intended for like the modern world they're very aggressive. I would, I would say they're very kind of swindly. I really have not read a sales book that I love. And so I'm like, well, I'd love to be, I'm not aware of a great sales book that's written by a, a woman, especially a young woman. And so I've always thought like, maybe I'll write the first sales book that I would recommend to people. Um, and I, I plan, the truth is I plan to do all of these things. And I think that's, um, one of the, to answer your question, that's one of the ways I've landed on, let's do year on the wall first is I have had to tell myself there's time to write all these books. Like I'll write them all. And I had to kind of, cause I was obsessing about that for a minute. I was like, well, which book am I going to write? Oh my gosh. And staying in the drama of that. And the way I got out of it was by saying, what if it just doesn't matter? What if it doesn't matter which idea? What if I just pick one? What if the thing that matters is that I pick one and just go. And so I picked "Year on the wall because like I said, I had just taught it. So I, I really, um, Liz I think you and I were talking about my proposal maybe it was February so I had you know taught year on the wall on December 1st of last year so it was like fresh in my mind like I said every year I teach it I just get hundreds of people showing up I've done Facebook ads for the concept they perform very well with Facebook ads and so all of that has just given me a lot of evidence that like if you think about it, if somebody, if, if it works on my Instagram, if it works in a Facebook ad, my thought was sort of like, if somebody's walking by that cover in a bookstore, maybe it's the same thing where you pass by the window, you're like, that's interesting. Um, and so I think, you know, one thing I've learned that Liz has helped me so much with already is when you go to write a proposal, I've been telling people in my personal life, it feels like a resume combined with a personal statement combined with a writing, like, like, combined with a sales page, just all rolled into one. It's like one of the hardest things you'll do is write this darn book proposal. And so when I realized how much of this process, if you wanna traditionally publish is about the proposal, that I really had to shift my perspective of like, this isn't even about like how great I am of a writer. This is about how marketable this idea is. And so I guess I just feel that I have so much evidence that I could give to a publisher, but also it's evidence for myself that I know I can sell the heck out of this concept because I have done it. And um, I felt excited about it because it's like, it's it's hot right now. There's an element of that too, where, you know, if I teach this for 10 years, who knows if people will be as into it as they are right now. So that's where that kind of fire in the belly comes from where it's like let's capitalize on the success that I've had with this as a course and see how far it could go as a book. Yes. Oh my goodness.
0: I I love that, you know, having evidence for yourself mm-hmm. yeah. as well as a publisher. That's super important. That's I was talking with a prospective client um yesterday about, she wants, she really, really wants to write a book proposal. And so I was asking her like, you know, where have you been testing this idea? What have you been doing? And she was like, no, I'm ready to write this book proposal. And I was like, look Mm -hmm. in love. I don't think you're ready. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't want to, you know, I could teach you how to write a book proposal, but I don't think it's ready yet. Mm -hmm. And you know, there are lots of reasons for that. We don't have to get into, but yeah, I think that's so important to have that evidence. And I also love your perspective on kind of removing the pressure from this first book of saying like, and this is something we talk about a lot at Hungry Authors, like you're going to have lots of opportunities to write lots of books. You yeah. just need to get started and not let that, and you know, paralysis of, oh my goodness, this first one has to have all of the pressure on it. And it has to be the perfect one. And it has to address all the things I have in my heart. No, that's not the case. You know, we really yeah. have to just say like let's just get started with this one thing. Let's pick, you know, the lowest hanging fruit and just go for it.
2: Yeah, and earlier we mentioned Elizabeth Gilbert, right? She's actually someone I've thought about a lot because I remember hearing that hearing her say that, you know, Eat Pray Love was her first that that book put her on the map. It was like either her fourth book or her seventh book, like it was not yes. her first book and I loved hearing her talk about that. It's like, wow, okay. So I do think you have to go into it. If I went into this thinking, like, this better be successful, or else, you know, my self worth as an author really depends on this. I'm not seeing it that way at all. I'm like, let's just get this thing out there. And hopefully, it's a runaway hit that'd be amazing. But more than anything, I see it as like the first work in what will hopefully be a body of work. And that has been really helpful for getting me unstuck. Cause it is intimidating to sit down and are you serious? Like that blank blinking cursor, you're like, it better be perfect. And so really just seeing it as like a part of a whole has made it so helpful.
1: Yeah. And too, I want to point out to our listeners, something, um, that's really important. And that agents, and certainly, you know, publishing houses and editors love to see is that if you have gotten people to pay you their hard earned money for something, that is the best proof of concept that there is. Mm -hmm. Right. You like social media numbers are great. Views are great. That kind of stuff. It matters. But you know, my, um, my friend Lucinda Halpern, who were, who's going to be on the podcast soon. She's a, um, Literary agent in New York, I had the honor of working with her on her book. She always says, like, tell me what I can't find on Google. And what you can't find on Google, like, you can find Steph's, like, page. You can find information about You're on the wall. What you can't find is that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have taken it and Mm -hmm. have all these, you know, outstanding results from it. I, and part of what, I mean, other than the fact that I just, like, like you and know you're awesome and legit, I had taken it that December, two months Mm -hmm. before. So I knew what was in it. And then when you said you wanted to write a book about it, I knew how successful it was. I knew your platform. I knew how long you'd been in the game. And I was like, oh, like no brainer, you know, like this Mm -hmm. is going to work. This is what everybody wants. This is what every agent wants. They want, you know, somebody who's out there already talking about their message and like mega, mega bonus. You've got people paying for it. You know, that's like, that's part of why a lot of these um, digital entrepreneurs don't have a problem getting book deals. It's not just because they have big number, big visible numbers. It's because they've got people paying them. And that means like, you know, that message is worth money, which is what, uh, you know, publishing houses and editors want to know, because this is like publishing is a business. So my point in that is, you know, like if you're experimenting, I mean, Ariel and I do this all the time with hungry authors, because we're still sort of figuring this thing out too, is that if you're, trying to figure out your big idea, experimenting with things, see if you can get people to pay
2: you money for it. Yes, yes, you know? yes, totally. And it doesn't, and you know, I, I I hate to think that, that that could be discouraging for anyone out there listening, but I think it is important to hear the truth of the matter, which is that you do need that proof of concept, but the good news is it doesn't have to be as complicated as you might be thinking. You don't have to have hundreds and hundreds of people come to some class that you've taught, but even, you know, putting together an online workshop, just a one-time workshop and getting people to pay you 20 bucks to come, um, that would be evidence, right? And the thing is with my year on the wall, I didn't mention this, but I taught it for the first time in 2018 and I've changed it a little bit each year. So it's just gotten better and better. And again, I'm not saying you need to work on your idea for five years or six years or whatever that is um, in order to, uh, p- turn it into a book, but it certainly doesn't hurt because it. <laughs> I will say like, as I've sat down to, this is my first ex- and I've written, I've tried many, like we've covered, I've tried many projects that have kind of gone nowhere. This is not my first attempt, but this is the first attempt where when I sit down to write it, it's like writing itself. And that is a really cool experience. That's just so different than my other experiences where I felt like I really had to like force it or, you know, I was developing the idea as I was writing that is okay. But the experience of like, this is a book that's written itself at this point And I just need to assemble it properly and I need to sell it properly. It's a totally different experience. And it's, uh, it's an empowering experience for sure. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, that is such a big
0: clue that this is the right thing at the right time for you is when you have that confidence and like, what a great way to build your Mm self-efficacy. So like the confidence that you are creating for yourself right now through this experience of, you know, feeling that like momentum that you have around this book. That is going to propel you into the next book that might not be as, you know, as baked as this one was, but now you'll know the process for getting to that point. You will know, oh, here's what I need to do to bake this idea more, just like I did with the last one. So I love, I love that so much. So what was it like working with Liz and like bringing someone else into the process? I always Mm -hmm. kind of wonder this because I'm often like, the other person who, who gets in the weeds of other people's projects. What is it like from, from your perspective?
1: Wait, I uh, just want to oh. clarify before Steph jumps in. I didn't like stuff. We didn't like officially. Well, I just did a once over of it and shot her some ideas i don't want, which t- was so
2: helpful though okay. you were you were very <laughs> helpful and generous <laughs> okay thank
1: you. i don't want to take any more credit than i deserve i were not no like, it was awesome together we were just buds and i said i would shoot her some ideas and so Got that's you. all i did and so Yeah. Tell, tell us, and you even post on
2: social media that it caused you to blow it up. No, it was so helpful. You know, I think, um, yeah, I mean, anybody out there, I feel like everybody probably has the experience of like, you know, being in some kind of like writing class or something where you have to bring your work in that day and everybody reads it. And you're like, Oh, you kind of die a little bit inside. It's like, it, 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 it's hard to take something that feels somewhat precious to you and like, put it out there and put it on a plate and be like, please just you know, cut this open and tell me how good or not good it might be. So it's a scary experience for sure. But I think, you know, I, I, when we're as authors, as aspiring authors, published authors, wherever you are in the journey, I think what I love about us is how romantic we are, right? Like, like I told you guys, when I was in London, I was like, this is where the pub where Charles Dickens wrote, like there's that romantic element. I have to say the process of writing a proposal, there's like nothing romantic about it. It's very strategic and that's okay. We don't, you know, we just, we have to, I think it's helpful to like go in eyes wide open about that. Um, basically what Liz helped me see, I think is that, you know, when I knowing next to nothing about how all of this works, I kind of always thought, and I think this is an assumption a lot of us probably have, like if my writing is good, if my outline is good, if it's interesting, then it will do well. And I think that was my thought is like, if it's the book that you'd pick up at the airport and it looks cool, like then it's good. And what I've learned and Liz has helped me see is like, she went through my proposal and it was so interesting because she really did for me what I do for my students who are selling anything. That's what I do with my people is I help people sell coaching. I help people sell courses. I help people sell all kinds of services. And what I realized is a proposal is really not so different than that. I feel like Liz really got in there. And Liz, the number one thing that stood out is I think I went in and I was like, I was sort of comparing myself to really big fish in my niche. Right. So like the Jen Sincheros of the world, right? Like you are a badass. And I really appreciated Liz's advice, which is like, you need to show how you're unique, right? Because the James clears and the Jen Sincheros, like they're amazing, but they're like runaway successes. And, you know, there's really no way of predicting how a book like that becomes a book like that. And instead focus on like, because there's in my niche which is really, you know, self-development and productivity and planning, like so much has been done before. So what I really have to show is like what what does this book do that turns that whole industry on its head? And I think Liz was really great about being like this part right here. This is the part. And to share what that was in my book, I teach people when you go to plan your year, we call it a life first approach where if you're looking at my, I keep going the wrong way. If you look at my calendar, like the orange post-it notes actually go on first and that's people's time off. That's when you're spending time with your kids. That's when you're on vacation and you actually build your business and life around what you want to do with the rest of your life, which is not something that everybody else teaches. People are like, here's how to make money and here's where you fit your launches and blah, blah, blah. The idea of like flipping, um, traditional productivity standards is what kind of sets my concept apart, you know? And so Liz kind of showed me like, you really need to bring that right out from the beginning because that's kind of the hook. So I think that's really what it was is honing in on like, what is the hook of this proposal of this system that's going to make it different than all the rest?
1: Yeah. It felt like a profit first. It felt like Mike McCatlowitz's profit first, but for time management, you know, yeah. like, part of what, well, not part of like, I, I I, don't know what his proposal looked like, but I imagine it had to be something around like pay yourself first. Right. You know? That was kind of revolutionary for a financial book, you know, yep. again, like a niche that has, or a genre that has been done a million times over. He advocated what everyone sort of, didn't you know pay yourself first and so that would actually be a good like me and ariel love to like riff on like using comps you know for and Mm -hmm. when when you when you write your query like we should like riff on that because it's so fun but like a good positioning is like it's profit first for time management you know like that that you know we we uh we have a, a podcast on comps that came out not too long ago that people can go back and listen to but where we do that, we say like, use a comp to describe your book to people because it will bring it to life in a way that just five sentences can't, you know? Um, And for people in the business, like agents and editors, it also calls to mind like sales and genre and, you know, like all these other things that they're doing in their head when they look at like queries and proposals and stuff. Um, Yeah. And I love that you um, rethought your comps a little bit. Not that You can't use a category buster necessarily, but, um, but yeah, like it, not only when you use smaller books, um, Mm -hmm. and I just did air quotes there, you know, books that aren't like as commercially successful as like James Clear. Um, it does a number of things. It shows that you are, um, well-read in your genre, which every person likes to know if you can only list the big ones. Well, people will think, well, everybody knows those. So that means you haven't read anybody else. Um yeah, and it just um it's not as helpful because just from a business perspective, like you said, sales wise, they cannot compare you to James Clear. They just can't. Like yep. James Clear, anyone who was as big as him, there was a certain amount of luck that went into it. There just is. And yep. you know, and it's just not as helpful. And so um yeah, I love that. Really yep. smart.
2: That was a huge shift. So thanks, Liz. <laughs>
1: You're welcome. Yeah. Well, and we love, you know, when it comes to writing queries and proposals, a lot of what it comes down to aside from, you know, all the uh, platform and marketing stuff is just finding that thing. What's that sticky thing? Mm -hmm. So you've got before for nonfiction, you're almost certainly going to have to write write a, a query as well. And so, you know, before somebody even opens the proposal, you've got about three small paragraphs to interest somebody you know and so like don't um like make every word count don't waste anything tell them the goods right up front what makes it special you know um and like you said like that's sales like that's kind of what you do you Mm -hmm.
2: know
1: yep um yeah but it also is an art and it sometimes takes somebody with an outside perspective to show you what that is
2: yeah I think that's really important too. I think as writers, um, it's very natural to kind of want to keep it all really close to the chest. I really felt that way, especially with my fiction. I wrote this whole draft and literally no one has read it. My husband's like, can I read this? I'm like, absolutely not. You know? And so I think there's a certain kind of terror that comes with getting that outside perspective. You might feel really resistant to that idea, but I think to Liz's point, it's just, it's so important, it's like you don't know what you don't know, you're only inside your own mind, and it might make sense to you. You're sold on your idea. Of course, you're writing about it, but it's really important to make sure that it's coming through to somebody who doesn't know anything about your concept, who isn't an expert on what you're talking about, and to separate the emotion from that, like you can be objective in that process. Is you know, it, it it's easy to get your feelings hurt, but I think instead looking at it as like this isn't a reflection on who I am. Like, this is interesting. Separating your identity as a writer, when somebody gives feedback on your, on your proposal and on your hook, they're not saying this sucks or this is great. They're just saying you haven't, maybe you haven't found the sticky part and it's there. We just need to dig a little bit more. It doesn't mean your whole concept is shot. It just means we just need to sift for it a little bit more. I think that's really huge for taking the emotion out of the process. Yes, definitely. Okay. Speaking of
0: sticky things <laughs> st- <laughs> and we're going to post, uh, definitely some like clips from this episode so that people can as Instagram reel so that people can see all of your beautiful wall of sticky notes and everything, yes. which is just like so much fun. And that's part of what people love in our book mapping process too. So a lot of people, um, come and they're like a little bit bashful. They're like, I just want to use a lot of sticky notes to create my book. <laughs> because it looks so fun. And I'm sure that you hear a lot of the same thing with, um, your class too. So did you use like sticky notes in your book mapping process? Like, did you use that for planning your book too? tell us a little bit just briefly about like, what did your, you know, content planning process look like?
2: So I've definitely tried the sticky note approach before, and I've, that's been very successful for me. I've built online courses in the same way, you know, the Mm -hmm. way that, Chapters of a book would be I've done with modules uh, in a course. So I think that's a huge tool. This uh book I think is maybe a little bit unique in that this is a little bit goes a little bit more into what I was saying about how it kind of wrote itself. So the course, year on the wall course, has four steps. And so I knew pretty much right away that the book was going to have four sections, and each section has like three chapters. So when I this is what I mean when I sat down, I was like, wow. There's an outline. Great. So from that perspective, I think a lot of the work had already been done for me just through the development of this concept over time. However, of course that changed, you know, as I got into it, I I remember being like, Ooh, I need a whole chapter on this other part that I don't really cover in the course. So I would say, I think I've written, I've set it aside for a little bit now because I've been launching my mastermind, but, um, I've written three chapters, three sample chapters. And so for me, you know, the outline has been really helpful as kind of like that wireframe. And then as I've been actually writing the chapters, I, I'm only, like I said, I'm only three in, I could see how things will definitely move around. I realize I need to spend more time in this area, but I really enjoyed that approach of like. Breaking the book into sections made a lot of sense to me. You know, in this first section, we need to tackle what you want your life to look like. In this section, we need to tackle how much money do you actually need to fund your life and how are you going to get that money? In this section, we need to tackle the habits that are going to keep you from quitting on this plan. And so that really helped me just figure out like, then it was just a matter of like, okay, well, what do people need to do in this section? Okay, what do they need to do in this one? So I think when you start, this is really important. I think, again, very similar to sales, um, selling anything is really being clear on that before and after transformation. So when somebody comes to the book, okay, they're like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing next year. And I don't really, uh, this is my favorite customer is somebody for this book is some, my favorite reader is somebody who's like, I think about moms. Cause I am one. And I have so many moms in my neighborhood of young kids and they've just kind of lost themselves to motherhood a little bit, um, where they're just like, I'm so deep in diapers and bottles that like, I don't know, like you're asking me what I want. Oh gosh, I really don't don't even know. This book will really help people discover how they want to live, put intention into their life, even if they have a lot of demands and then figure out how to make it happen. So if somebody's starting from a place of like, I don't know what I need. I don't know what I want, but I'm, I just know I can't stay here by the end of the book. They have a re- they have some real clarity about what they actually care about in this life, how to prioritize it, how to pay for it and how to make it happen. So once you're really clear, I think on that before and after that's where you can kind of just figure out like from there, it's just a matter of like, okay, well, what are the steps, you know? Yeah. That's exactly the process that we teach in our
0: book mapping course too, is like, what's your trans? We call it your transformation tale. What's your transformation tale? What's that story that you're, you know, creating for the reader. And then like you said, okay, how do you help them get from a to B Mm -hmm. and there's lots of ways you can do that.
2: Yeah. I think it's about so much more. This is something to think about too, is like, I see this a lot with my clients who are experts in their field is a lot of times they're very wrapped up in looking smart. And I think that's natural, right? But they're like, I just need to know the most things about my thing. And I think that's actually less important than what you just said, Ariel, which is okay, fine. But tell me like, what's in it for me, right? Like you might be, you might know more about dog training than anybody on God's green earth, but Why do I care about what you know about dog training? Are you going to take it, take me from this dog who is chasing the mailman to now they're like just lying around and they never bark at anybody. That's what I'm more interested in. So it's really shifting that focus from like, I'm the expert who knows everything and I have to prove how smart I am. I see that so much to instead take that pressure off of yourself and think about what does the, what journey is the reader on? Um, I think that changes everything.
1: Obviously this conversation has been primarily focused towards prescriptive nonfiction, but for all of our memoir people out there, or even like, you know, our thought leadership people, Mm -hmm. um, all books are about transformation. Yeah. Even memoir, you know, like, and memoir is obviously mostly about transformation for the author, but that transformation maps onto the reader, you know, that's the transformation that people are hoping for in their own lives um transformation yeah and and even fiction books are about transformation they're about transformation of the characters you know yeah. like that's what separates you know a narrative book or a memoir from just being like navel gazy to really being a vehicle for change for somebody it's yeah. about transformation um totally. yeah so we love that and we you know like this similar process we like we run master classes on our most successful master class has been our book mapping masterclass which is basically just what you you know we're talking about planning out your content um and so that's what we like are turning into a course now you know Mm -hmm. because that's been the most successful that's what people want to know about that's you know
0: it's a big part of um the book that ariel and i are working on our book also has four sections and it is all of part two I want to know Steph, when is the, when is the next time that you're offering your, you on the wall course? Because I'm like, uh, I need to take this because <laughs> I, I, I am have- always going like, when can I squeeze in a day for myself? When right. can I take off half a day here? And it's like, i never, I never get the time for myself that I want. And Liz has seen my calendar. She knows that it is out of control. So I need, I need some help here.
2: You need to read the book. I'm just kidding. Yes. I can't wait. I can't Actually,
0: wait. To- as Steph
1: was talking about it. I was like, is the recording, do I have it forever? Or does Yeah, it- you
2: do. Yeah, you do. The great news for Ariel and for anybody else is it's actually available on demand. So you can oh, go to yearonthewall.com and you can buy it. Awesome. It doesn't just have to be, you know, you'll see, I ta- of course the easiest time to talk about it is when you're looking at a January, but I have people take it all year round. I always teach it live in Q4 just because, like I said, it's an evolving process and it's fun to teach it live. I always bring something new to it, but it's available year round. So you can go to yearonthewall.com and grab it. Uh, it's very meaty. There's a workbook with it. And, um, yeah, I hope, hope y'all enjoy. It's pretty, it's pretty yeah. cool process. It's really fun. You're
1: awesome. on the wall. You can get any time. Yeah. Um, messy metal
2: is closed right now. Yep. There's a wait list. If you go to stephcrowder.com slash mastermind, we're going to open up for enrollment again, probably in Q4 of this year. And, Yeah. That's my six month mentorship to help people. All of the sales stuff is very much what we cover. I'm helping my clients really, um, you know, take the early successes that they have. They often have, like, I've had a few customers, I've had some success. I've, you know, maybe done big spurts of cash here, here, and here, but I want to really streamline everything and take it to the place where it's scalable and successful. That's what we tackle in the mastermind. So yes, Mm -hmm. there's a wait list for now. And we'll be launching again at the end of the year.
1: Perfect. And then um, you have a podcast, Mm -hmm. which um, is great and kind of just like a business BFF, like in your ears, which is like one of my favorite um, modes of podcasting. I mean, just go follow Steph on, on all the things. And of course you're in
2: early, early stages,
1: but at some point you'll have a book coming out.
2: Yeah. Um, I try to, you know, talk a lot about the process on Instagram. So if you're on Instagram, come follow me at Hey Steph Crowder. Uh, We'll, we'll see where things end up, but it's pretty exciting. Awesome. Thank you, Steph. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been great.
0: Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Hungry Authors
1: or HungryAuthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen.